Good morning, Grace family. Let's continue in worship and read from God's Word. Today we're in Exodus 15. Exodus 15. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's page 57. So Exodus 15, page 57. Exodus 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, in wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, 
and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Today we are wrapping up our series in the first section of Exodus, From Slavery to Glory. From Slavery to Glory. The timing has worked out beautifully because Exodus 15 is a song of praise and thanksgiving to God. And we are entering a holiday where we celebrate by giving thanks this week in particular. Next week, we will launch into our Advent series, our Christmas series called The Weary World Rejoices. Uh, So great opportunity to invite friends, family members, uh, neighbors, and uh, then we'll pick back up in Exodus early next year. From slavery to glory. Exodus opens up in the very first verses. We find that the people of Israel are living in Egypt in bondage to a wicked tyrant. Uh, we see how, how devastating it is. There's, there's genocide, there's oppression, there's slavery. But the Lord hears the cries of his people and he, he makes it his mission to reveal his character and his power, not only to Israel, but to Pharaoh and to the whole world. And through a series of events, the Lord delivers his people out of slavery, rescues them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and into freedom. The freedom now, as we see, to worship and serve the living God. And it is right after God's supernatural display of power in delivering the Israelites through the Red Sea, but of course destroying all their enemies in the Red Sea, that now they celebrate God's goodness and grace by doing what? By singing. They're celebrating the God of salvation. I think a few weeks ago the the sermon title was celebrating God's salvation. Today I want to just nuance it. They were celebrating the God of their salvation. Exodus 15 is primarily a song of celebration and everyone is singing. Notice verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song. Did you know there are over 400 verses in the Bible that talk about singing? And did you know that there are 50 specific commands for the people of God to sing? Like, it's not just don't steal, don't murder, also you must sing. It's that important. Now some of you are totally digging this, I already hear it. Right? I, I think Pastor Andrew's going to love this message. 
right? Maybe his only critique is that I should have sung this message. Well, he might not go that far, but some of us love singing. I'm one of them. I love singing. I am I'm not particularly good at it, but I love it. And I sing everywhere. Yeah, I just heard my son laugh, so there you go. Uh, I sing everywhere. I sing in front of my kids. I sing to my wife. That's not as romantic as you might think, but I sing in the car. I sing in my office. Everywhere I go, I sing. But I get it. I'm the exception. Many people don't like to sing, or you know others don't like to hear you sing, and so you don't sing. Some people come to church and wish that we could skip the singing and go right to the Word. Some people wait for the songs to be over and then come in. Some of you leave after the singing, but that's a different sermon. (laughs) We are commanded to sing. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Singing is how we teach one another. It's how we as a church let the word of Christ, the word of God, live in our hearts richly. It's why we have a full-time pastor of music. Do you realize how dangerous it is to have a pastor in charge of a ministry where there are more opinions about music than there are sands on the seashore? And yet we say it's that important. Music is powerful. It stirs our hearts in unique ways. Did you know group singing? They've done studies. Group singing, and for us it's congregational singing, is a natural antidepressant. It, re- it literally releases, releases endorphins and oxyto- oxytocin into your body, which lowers stress and anxiety. It literally boosts your immune system. Did you know there was singing at creation? The book of Job says that when God created the world, that the morning stars or the angels sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Creation was not a quiet experience. It was a very joyful experience of singing. Did you know that God sings? Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt, exalt over you with loud singing. God sings over you, Christian. God joins in singing with us. He sings loudly over us. So our singing is not just something we made up. It's a part of the very character of God. You know who else loves to sing? Children. Children don't care how they sound. They don't even care what they're saying. They're just wanting to make a joyful noise. It's only when they get older that they lose that sense of wonder and freedom. Exodus 15 is often referred to as the song of the sea because it's sung right on, the, right, on the, right on the edge of the Red Sea after this great victory that God had performed on their behalf. And it is the first recorded hymn of the Hebrew nation. It's a song of praise to God for redeeming his people out of slavery and into freedom. And it is a song of praise. What is praise? Praise is the response of celebration to those who have experienced God's grace. 
You see, whenever God does something great, he deserves to be praised. Whenever God does something great, he deserves to be praised. Let's look at four ways that the Israelites celebrate God that help us today celebrate our God. Number one, lesson number one, celebrate God in all his power. Celebrate God in all his power. Now, remember the scene here. Israel has just experienced the single greatest deliverance in the history of the Old Testament. The people have been redeemed from all the plagues, all ten plagues, including the plague of death, and now they've miraculously passed through the Red Sea on dry land, right? Water on both sides of them. They pass through. The Egyptians try to go through. Pharaoh tries to go through. The water covers them. They're completely destroyed, and now the Israelites are standing on the other side of the Red Sea, and they look back and realize for the first time in 400 years, they are fully and finally free. Their enemies are no more. There's literally millions of Israelites there, and they're looking around, and, they're, and it's sinking in, and then all of a sudden, verse 1, then, notice in response to God's actions, they praise. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Their singing was an immediate and likely a spontaneous reaction to God's amazing grace. The people couldn't help but break forth into song. After 400 years, they're free. And notice it's not just Moses. It says all the people. Verse 21, it'll say that Miriam and this all-women's choir will respond in antiphonal form with tambourines and dancing. They weren't Baptists. They're celebrating God, right? They're celebrating God's power. The Lord has triumphed gloriously, they say. He has thrown horse and rider into the sea. What are they celebrating? That God has overcome both the instrument of war, that's the horse, and the agent of war, that's the rider. In other words, there's no longer anything to fear. What once threatened their lives day in and day out, year after year, has been completely destroyed. All the oppression, gone. All the violence, gone. Look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Remember, Lord in all caps, that's the name, the divine name, Yahweh. Yahweh is a man of war. I think the best translation is Yahweh is a warrior. This is a central theme in the Bible. The Lord fights for his people and fights against their enemies. Israel now understands that this is who Yahweh is. Think about this. The Israelites have just won the greatest victory against the greatest army in the world, and they didn't have to lift a finger to accomplish it. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? Then in verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Hebrew culture placed great importance on the right hand. It symbolized power, superiority. Here it symbolized the very power of God to deliver his people. 
Israel's suffering greatly, and what does God do? God gets involved and he does something. He rescues them by his right hand. That's why Moses says back up in verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This verse is repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. It becomes sort of a a declaration, a a confession for the people of God, verse 2 does. And notice how personal it is. Look, millions of people are singing this, and yet they, they personalize it. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song, my salvation. Can you say this today, Christian? Is God's salvation in your life this personal and this special? Can you say, I have seen God's power at work in my life? Christian, do you remember a time in your life when you were in a difficult spot, when you were in a trial, a season, a moment in your life where you looked in front of you and it looked like there was a Red Sea in front of you and you looked behind you and your enemies were behind you and maybe it was more the the form of a financial crisis or a, a physical ailment or a relational breakup. You didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't know how you were going to get through and you felt stuck. Have you ever been there? Am I the only one? And just like it seemed when all hope was lost, what did God do? He came through. He brought you through in a powerful way. You cried out to God and God did what only God can do. And if he's ever done that for you, guess what? You can celebrate God and all of his power today. Celebrate his goodness in providing for you when you felt like there was, there was too much month for your paycheck and God still provided. God still protected you. God was protecting your family even when you didn't realize he was protecting your family. God closed doors that you wanted to open and God opened doors that you didn't even know was going to be possible. God's work was involved in your life. Amen? And then step back even further. Because some of you are like, I can't see it right now because I'm in the midst of a trial right now. But step back even further. Hasn't God shown his great power in rescuing you from your greatest enemies? Like the ones who aren't just going to come knocking on the door for, for you to pay, but the ones going to come knocking on your door because your soul is at stake? Hasn't God rescued you and I from Satan's grip, from sin's grip, from death's grip? Hasn't God accomplished the greatest victory in rescuing you from the very pit of hell by sending his own son to experience all the condemnation that you and I deserved so that through faith in Jesus, we would experience all the glory that he deserves? That is the good news of the gospel. Isn't that amazing enough that you can't help singing about it? Are you celebrating God today in his great power in rescuing you by his right hand? Number two, celebrate God for his steadfast love. The people don't just sing of God's great power. They sing of his steadfast love. Look at verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. 
They're celebrating, like verse 13 says, that now they are the people whom God has redeemed. Verse 16, again, the people whom you have purchased. Redemption now defines what it means to be the people of God. Redemption now defines what it means that Israel are now the Lord's people and and the Lord is their God. To redeem, we've talked about this over and over, to redeem means to get back, to buy back, to rescue out of. And this is exactly what the Lord said he would do back in Exodus chapter 6. In verse 6, he said, look, Israel, I will bring you out. I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Why does the Lord redeem his people? Why does he buy us out? Why does he rescue us out? Why does he show his kindness and grace to undeserving people? It's right there in verse 13, this this interesting word, you have led in your steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word for love, this divine love, chesed, right? So you got to get guttural, go and then chesed. That's the word. You got to say it right. We talked about this word before. It's not a sentimental love, right? It's not an emotive love. It's not a cupid love, like, ha, I feel in love. No, God doesn't get like that. He has a deeper kind of love. This is a, a love of the will. This is a love that makes a commitment and never wavers from it. It's a loyal love. Do you see what the people are saying? God, we celebrate your power. Yes, you are majestic in holiness. Verse 11, who is like the Lord our God? And yet you love us. You love me. (laughs) They are overwhelmed with the love of God. When a man and a woman stand before a congregation like this on their wedding and they declare crazy promises like, Rich for richer for poorer, in sickness and in health. They have no idea what that means. But they make that commitment to love one another. As fallen human beings, we fail to live up to that, don't we? And yet the Lord, when he makes these promises, you could take it to the bank, he's going to keep his word. He'll never stop. He'll never fail. He'll never back down. He'll never forget. He'll never go to sleep. He'll never hold a grudge. When God says, I do, that's it. He loves you. He's all in. Whatever mess you've made in life, whatever trials you've faced in life, whatever future trials you're going to face, he says, you are my people and I am your God. My strength is yours. My wisdom is yours. My healing is yours. My kindness of you is yours. And that's what makes the God of the Bible so stunning. There is no other religion in the world that claims there is a God who is almighty, all-powerful, who will crush his enemies, and yet says to his people, I have unconditional love for you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why the people of Exodus 15 are singing. One of the main reasons, one of the main themes of Exodus is to show us who is Yahweh, what is he like, He is revealing himself to his people and to the world. And now they can say, verse 2, this is the Lord. This is what Yahweh is like. 
This is what his love is like. It's sacrificial and steadfast. He literally lays down his life. Why do we love movies where the hero, right, you're building the case for this hero and you love this person. You love it, whether it's a person or even a robot, right? We kids love these movies. We love these movies. And then that person, you realize, oh no, 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 no. You know they got to do it. They're going to give their life to save somebody, aren't they? Because that's what true love, sacrificial love does. When I was a kid, sorry, when my kids were young, I would try to express my love to them. I'd try to show them how much I love them. And, and I'd have this little thing that I would say, how much does daddy love you? Do I love you this much? And I'd get them to be like, no. Do I love you this much? No. Do I love you this much? And they would kind of build up, no, this much? Are you sure? No, this much? How much does daddy love you? And we'd put our arms as wide as we can. We'd go, this much. I think God the Father would be saying to each of us, if you are in Christ, you know how much I love you? This much? And some of us go, it feels like a God. No, this much? No, this much? No, you know how much I love you? This much. This much, literally this much. He'll move the world to, to rescue you. That he would die for you. Do you Know this love. Have you experienced the life-changing love of God? This love that never fails. Number three, celebrate God for his future victory. Verses 1 to 13, they're celebrating, they're recounting what God has done in the past. God, you did this to our enemies. And, and they're like, you know, Pharaoh, he said this, and he kept doing this, and he thought this, but you were better than him. You rescued us. You destroyed him. You showed your great power. You showed that you love us. And then in verse 14 to verse 16, the verb, it changes. Look at verse 14. The peoples have heard, talking about the surrounding nations, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Notice it's past tense. Like these things, these events have already happened, but there's a, there's a problem. They haven't yet happened, have they? They haven't even gone into the promised land yet. Their future why are they singing as if this has already happened? Here's why. In Hebrew, these past tense verse, ver, 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 verbs are called the prophetic perfects. Prophetic perfect. If you're, you want to impress your family this week and you're hanging around Thanksgiving, what did you do this week, weekend? What did you learn? Oh, I spent some time learning about the prophetic perfect in the Hebrew language. All right, Just tell them that. Prophetic perfect. They'll love it. What's Moses doing here? He's using verbs to describe future events as if they've already happened. Why? Because this is the confidence they have in the power and promise of Yahweh. And if you skip ahead and read the book of Joshua, you'll find that when Israel shows up at the doorstep of these people, the other nations do tremble. They are dismayed. They are terrified because the, the reputation of the God of the Israelites precedes him. He's the God who has freed millions of slaves from the greatest superpower on the planet and they seemingly didn't do a thing. Yeah, they're scared. What the people are doing is celebrating God's future victory that if he has done all this for us, 
We are confident he will even bring us into the land that he promised us as well. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. This has been God's plan all along. The the Bible is literally the story of God bringing his people out of slavery to find their home in his presence. God sent his son Jesus to earth. Why? To bring us back to God. So we would find our home with God. Jesus' substitutionary death and his resurrection from the dead make a way for us to be redeemed, bought back, rescued, delivered. We are saved from the just wrath of God against sin. We sang about it in Christ alone. God's power and love are on full display on the cross. God is literally destroying his enemies, right? Satan is getting destroyed. Sin is being destroyed. Death is being destroyed. How? By God's righteous right hand. And he does it all without destroying us. Because all of his power comes down on his own son. Why? Because of his steadfast love. Jesus takes your shame. Jesus is condemned. Jesus takes your guilt. Jesus is completely rejected. So that when you and I realize we are sinners in need of a savior and we turn and trust in Jesus alone, we experience all the honor, all the acceptance, and all the love that belongs to Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are right now a part of God's family. Nothing can separate you from his love, not your own self-condemnation, not your own suffering, and not even your continual struggle with sin. But here's the best part. Christian, Christ passed victory on the cross and the empty tomb guarantees your future victory one day. One day you will stand before the Lord in all of his glory. You're going to see him face to face. No more suffering. No more sin. No more dying. In God's presence, David says, is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And you know what you're going to sing when that day comes? You're going to sing this song of Moses. You say, what are you talking about? At the end of time, in Revelation chapter 15, John sees this vision of all God's redeemed people singing and celebrating. And look what it says in Revelation 15, beginning of verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And then they say, sing the song of Moses. That's this song. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is our future. This is guaranteed. Every other religion says, you better work hard, you do good, and maybe, you'll, maybe the, God or the gods will accept you. We have, a, we have a God who said, I'm so powerful, I can tell you the end from the beginning. If you're with me, you win. If you're against me, you've lost. 
If you're with me, you get the keys to the kingdom now and you get glory unspeakable to come. That's guaranteed. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. We can celebrate now our future victory and celebrate God for providing it, achieving it for us. And then finally, last lesson, we celebrate God by depending on his grace. Most of this chapter is the song of Moses and the people. This is one epic day of worship, right? Again, Miriam and the women are playing tambourines. They're singing. They're back and forth. It's an incredible day of celebrating. They literally say, who is like the Lord? I mean, he is amazing. Can anyone live up to him? Nope. All the other gods are false gods. This is our God. This is our king. They're singing their hearts out. We have overcome. God, you're amazing. Who can stand before us now? And then Moses says, all right, let's go. Verse 22, we're on the move now. Day one, boy, we don't really have much water here, Moses. Day two, ah, it's getting a little dry out here, Moses. Day three, we don't have any water. There's no water in the wilderness. At least they thought. And they came to this place called Mara, and the water was bitter. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses. This sounds almost unfathomable, doesn't it? They just watched God throw their enemies into the sea, and they did absolutely nothing to win their own freedom and slavery. God literally showed up and showed off. And they sing with all their hearts to this powerful, loving God. You are God. Nobody can stop you. We trust you. And three days later, God, how dare you leave us out here to die without water? I thought you were going to provide. I thought you were going to come through. It seems unfathomable until we kind of look at our own lives and we realize that's kind of how we do it too. Consider all the ways that God has worked in your life, Christian. Consider all the things he has accomplished for you in Jesus and all the ways he's worked in your life personally or, or just corporately. Consider all that God has done for our church over nearly 60 years and yet the first sign of trouble and how do you react? I know how I react. It's not fair, God. I feel like I've been serving you and doing it. Uh, now you allow, I don't, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. I'm here singing, right? I love singing. And then I go home and I'm grumpy. Too often we grumble and we complain. We, we forget his grace. We doubt his goodness in our lives. This is like a, if it, I'm, it, it would seem like a divine slap in the face of God. It's the ultimate insult. God, you're amazing. God, you showed up. God, you're terrible. When you forget what God has done for you and you grumble, this is, it's spiritual immaturity. That's what it is. It's, an, it's ingratitude. It's a lack of faith in the faithfulness of God. And it's because we are forgetful people. We do this all the time. We complain about all kinds of stuff in our lives. 
You don't like a song at church, and as soon as the ch- ch- service is over, you march right out to Pastor Andrew. Let him know, right? That's a good thing to do. Or, or you don't like how your husband does this, or your, your wife does that, and you make sure they know it, and keep knowing it, right? I'm here to fix them, aren't I? You complain to them, you complain to others, your kids, your kids complain to school, right? Kids come home from school, how was your day? You're hoping they'll be like, Dad, it was a glorious day in school. I learned so much. My teachers care about me. I had lunch that you made for us. You are truly the king and queen of our home. Thank you. Wait, your kids don't talk like that to you? But it's not just kids. Adults complain about work too. We all complain about our government, right? We can all agree on that. Don't you see? The trial you're enduring may be bitter, but it doesn't need to make you bitter. The waters at Mara were bitter, but it turned the hearts of the people bitter, and that was the problem. Have the bitter trials of life made your heart bitter? And what does God do? I mean, if, if, if you just divine slapped him in the face and you're like, okay, now we're, we're grumbling, God has every right at this moment to be like, okay, you're done. I pretty much showed you everything, everything I got to show you my glory and you don't want to trust me, I'll just start over. Is that what he does? Is that what he, how he treats his beloved people? No. He shockingly shows them more grace. He continues to love them by not treating them the way their sins deserve. And he gives them what they don't deserve. He tells Moses, throw a stick in the water, and the water becomes miraculously sweet. This is our God. We, we complain, and he gives us more grace. He gives them sweet water. He, he promised, and he makes promises. If you keep my commands, you won't experience any of the diseases of Egypt. And then he leads them to Elam, which is basically a, a, an oasis in the desert. It had 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees. It's a place of abundance. God is beginning chapter 15 into chapter 18 is the shift in the book, and we'll, get, we'll pick it up next year. It's a shift where God is moving to now testing his people in the wilderness. Will you walk in obedience? I've shown you my power. I've shown you my glory. I'm training you now. Now I'll train you to walk in obedience. Will you trust my heart even if you don't understand my ways? Of course, they falter time and time again. They'll never keep all the commandments of God, and neither can we. And that's why we all desperately need Jesus. Jesus passed every test. He kept the whole law of God. He did all of it so that his perfect righteousness could be credited to each of us by faith. And when, when you are united to Jesus Christ, he becomes that sweet living water inside of you. He is literally, he said, I am the fountain of living water. He who comes to me will never thirst again. He can, he can satisfy. He can become your oasis in the midst of a desert. We can read this whole chapter in light of Jesus. Jesus is your warrior. 
He's overcome all of your greatest enemies. His power and his love are on display in how he redeems you. The empty tomb is the guarantee of your future victory. And whether things are going well or not, you must and can live in complete dependence on his abundant grace. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has triumphed gloriously. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I don't know what you're going through today. As we enter this holiday week and this holiday season, maybe life is good. Maybe your job's great. Maybe you got to raise a promotion. Maybe your family's going well. Are you celebrating God in that goodness? Are the blessings leading to greater dependence like it should have? At the end of chapter 15, it should have led them to be greater dependent on God because they've seen his goodness. Or maybe life is hard. Can you look at what the Lord has done for you? Remember what he's offered you and promised you and done and still praise him for his sustaining grace. We can celebrate today with gratitude, with joy, with faith, and we can say, because we are in Christ, we can truly sing this song that the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would do its work in each heart today. For every believer, that it would sustain us and empower us to walk by grace, by faith. God, I want, I want our church to be a church that celebrate what deserves to be celebrated, even when it seems like all the details go disastrously wrong. And we know that we can do this as we remember your power, your love, and your future victory. God, for those who don't know you, maybe they're wrestling, maybe they, maybe they want to believe, they feel like there's something holding them up. God, I pray that they would offer the simplicity of faith as you grant them to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, even right now. God, prepare our hearts as we remember in communion all that you have done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.